Hey, good morning to you, Grace. It's great to see you this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians? If you're visiting us today for the first time, I want to welcome you. Uh, Jeff did, and I, I want to also. My name is Nathan, and on behalf of everyone here, we hope you sit back and relax and enjoy your Sunday morning. Maybe you didn't uh, prepare to bring your Bible today because you didn't know that's what we did around here. Uh, well, that's okay. Use your smartphone. I know you have one of those, and just type into Google Galatians, just like it's spelled on the screen, and the number two. And that's where we're going to be today in Galatians number two. And Google will take you to a long list of options and just probably click the top one. It'll take you to Galatians two and you can follow along with us today. Uh, what we do every summer around Grace is we study, learn from, and apply where applicable uh, a particular book of the Bible. And so this year it is that book of Galatians. And if there's anything that you remember from it, I hope that it is this, the main idea is to go back to grace. And today you're going to find out why that is the theme of the book and why I've titled that as the series title. Paul, he goes around and he starts churches. You know, Paul's mission trip, he starts churches. And he didn't stay those churches pastor very long. He started churches, particularly in this region called Galatia. That's why this is called Galatians. This is written to churches in this region called Galatia, modern-day Turkey. And uh, he moved on. He didn't stay there pastor long. And so in that vacuum of leadership came a certain sect, a, a group of people called the Judaizers. And they came in and they said, yeah, Paul told you the right thing, it was, just wasn't everything. Paul told you the easy stuff. They, he told you about this thing called grace, where salvation is, comes only through Jesus Christ's work on the cross. It's simply putting your faith and trust in, in Jesus is, is, all that it is, is all that you need. And so Paul, told, what he told you was right, he just didn't tell you everything. You also need to do the works of the law. These Judaizers, they're, they're Jews, and they want to Jewishize all of the Gentiles. And they want the Gentiles, in order to be really saved, to get circumcised and have all these dietary rules and laws. And so that is the issue that is going on in the book of Galatians. And you think, well, that, that could never happen here. That could never happen in the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st century. We're too smart for that. We're, we're beyond those things. But these are the very issues that churches are dealing with still today. There are a lot of them that spread the gamut and are infused into Protestant, evangelical, Bible-teaching churches like the one that we're in today. I want to just kind of give you an idea of what, is, what happens in churches. There's this, um, this, this movement that occurred in the 17th century called the piety movement. But pietism, as I've described it here, it originated in the 17th century with this guy named Philip Spinner, and his emphasis was on transformation occurring by rebirth and renewal and individual devotion and piety. That's where your salvation comes from. And uh, the way it's described is it had a tremendous effect on Protestantism. We are Protestants. It had a tremendous effect on Protestantism worldwide, particularly in the North America. Who lives in the North America? 
we do. And so this idea of pietism is kind of infused in the religious culture that, that we live in today. Piety is doing good things, pious, living a pious life. And so pietism essentially says not only does our renewal come from, uh, from the Holy Spirit, that's what First Timothy tells us, it comes from the Spirit. No, 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 it's not only the rebirth of the Spirit, but also individual devotion, being committed to God and, and being devoted to God is what saves you and living an individual life of good things, piety, putting all of those things together then is how you are really saved and keep your salvation. And that's where we get these ideas of, oh no, if I do something wrong, I lose my salvation and I need to regain my salvation and I need to go get rebaptized again. It comes from this whole idea of piety that is infused in our culture. Let me give you another one. This one is called separatism. And separatism or the separatist movement it teaches Christians to separate from those who are of the world. And then it goes on to describe a little bit more who those of the world separatism includes. Okay, this includes separating from those who identify as Christians but have practices contrary to a strict list of acceptable behaviors. Christians who have thoughts or attitudes or dress or entertainment choices or careers or devotional structure like when you read the Bible, if it is contrary to the prescribed standards in a particular church's list, then those air quote Christians are marked as apostate, meaning they're not saved and they're to be avoided. And so this is prevalent in, in denominations in America today and in churches around the world today that if you don't keep up with our list of things, then you aren't a Christian. You're marked and avoided because you're apostate. You've fallen away. This is, this is current. I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about first century. I'm talking today. And then these kind of all kind of lead into one that you are very familiar with, which is called legalism or legalists in the church. And legalism is the direct or indirect attachment of behaviors or disciplines or practices, things you do, to the belief in order to achieve salvation and a right standing with God. And that's where we get these things like, you aren't a good Christian if you go to the movies. You aren't a good Christian if you don't wear a suit to church. You aren't a good Christian if you don't homeschool your kids or send them to Christian. You aren't, uh, or if you want to go to heaven, you need to be baptized. Yeah, faith. But you also need to, if you, if you want to go to heaven, you need to stop doing those things. And so legalism and pietism and separatism are all a part of Christianity today, just as it was in the first century. That's really what the picture that I'm attempting to paint here for you. And so in, in churches today, as in the Galatian churches, there's this clash of cult of cultures and I, I could put these this clash of cultures in 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 political terms so first I'm going to put this in in words that you could <laughs> I know that these two words are are very political words <laughs> but I am not speaking politically here 
I, the, these are neutral words. There's nothing moral or immoral about liberals or conservative. The, the words are not, are not sinful. Now, I know you've already placed yourself somewhere on this. <laughs> I, you've already put your name under one of these two, I know. But, but remove your name from there because the idea here is, is that liberals want to liberate us from the bad or the wrong things of the past. Okay, so I'm trying to remove this. Don't think politically here. Think liberals want to liberate from the bad or the wrong of the past. And conservatives, they want to conserve. They want to hold on to the good, the right, the righteous things of the past. The liberals want to liberate uh, in Christian terms. They want to liberate us from things like we've been talking, from pietism and from the, the separatist movement, and from legalism, and from any religious traditions that are only have religiosity infused, but are not biblically infused, that, that are religious things, but aren't Christ's things. And so liberals want to liberate us from those things, to free us from those things. Well, conservatives, they, they want to conserve the good things of the past, like wholesome traditions, like singing hymns, or dressing up for church. They want to conserve things like sound doctrine and good Bible teaching. And so you can see how there could be a conflict here, but really each person or each side it really wants the good. They want nothing but the best spiritually for a church. And so in most churches, there are, in, in these terms, people who want to liberate from the bad things of the past and people who want to conserve the good things of the, the past. Now, it gets bad. It slides sideways when things get switched around, when, when the switcheroo happens. It gets bad when the liberals, when, when the, the, the ones who are to be liberating, when they want to liberate us from the good things. They want to liberate us from the wholesome traditions, from the sound doctrine. They want to liberate from Bible teaching. And the conservatives, they don't want to conserve the good things. They want to conserve the bad things, the, the, the religious traditions, the legalism, the, separati the separatism. They, they want to conserve all of the wrong things <laughs> and not conserve the right things. And so this is kind of when it goes really bad. This is when you can see the, the clash of the titans when it goes very bad. But this, this is the picture of what happens in our chapter today. This is what, this is what occurs between two pillars of the gospel in the New Testament. And so I want to read this section with you, and then we'll unpack it today. So we're in Galatians chapter 2. We ended last week at verse 10, and so today we're going to pick things up at verse 11. It says, but when Cephas, who's Cephas? You remember that from last week? Who's Cephas? Peter, great. Pillar of the gospel, everybody knows who Peter is. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I, Paul, opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. Whoa, what is going on? Verse 12. 
For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he, Peter, used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw and halt himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I, Paul, saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel, I said to Cephas, Peter, in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel Gentiles to live like the Jews? We, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuild what I once destroyed, I proved myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Jesus didn't need to die if all I had to do was be pious. You know, Christ didn't have to die if all I had to do is not go to that movie theater. Christ didn't have to die if all I had to do was be circumcised. That's his point. So let's now get back to the beginning at verse 11 and, and see what is going on. And so what, what Paul is doing here is he's recounting a previous event. What we are reading here is not kind of happening real time. This is a previous event that Paul is recounting for all the churches in Galatia. They don't know about this event, but they need to know about this event because remember the Judaizers had come into their churches and they had begun to say that Paul's message was inferior because after all, Paul wasn't one of the big 12. Paul didn't sit at the feet of Jesus or Peter didn't, or Paul didn't sit at the feet of Jesus. Peter did. Peter was one of the big guns, but not, not, not Paul. His message was in fear. His message of the gospel was in fear, and that's why we can come into these churches in Galatia and say, yeah, you, we need to add a few things. We need to amend Paul's message. And so that was the entire message from last week. And so we get here, but when Cephas, now you remember that that's Peter, Peter is the one that, that last week he met with Peter and James and John in the, in the mothership, you know, the, the home church, the, the church back in Jerusalem, the very first church. He met with all of them and they had the, the right hand of fellowship. That didn't just mean to handshake. That means that we all concur together. James, the brother of Jesus, John, Peter and Paul and Barnabas, all five of them all agree together that we are preaching the gospel when we say it's Jesus plus nothing, that it is only grace, it is a gift that is given, there's no works involved, and they all agreed verbally, they agreed theologically, and they agreed publicly that this was the message. And so he says, but when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, Peter shows up in the city called Antioch. Antioch is a big deal in Christian history. You might not know the, the story of Antioch. So when the Christians 
were all just living, they all got saved, they, they, they were all Jews, all living in Jerusalem, and they, they, were, they were loving that little homogeneous world. But then they started to get persecuted hard by none other than Saul, Paul before he gets saved. Remember Stephen in, in the book of Acts, he gets killed. And so when this persecution gets really bad, they all start to run, run for their lives. And one of the cities that they end up in north is in Antioch. They end up in Antioch. Antioch is known as the Rome of the East. Today it's a small little town, but then it was a huge metropolis, Rome of the East. And so they knew about Antioch and they ran from the persecution in Jerusalem north to Antioch. And so when they got to Antioch, of course, they're bringing the gospel with them. And so they share the gospel with the Jews that are there, but also other groups are sharing the gospel with the Gentiles that are there. And so for the very first time ever in Christianity, it was in Antioch, where in the church, under the same roof, there are Jews and there are Gentiles. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us. We live in a very multinational, multicultural world. But that's not the way that it... Those two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles, did nothing under the same roof. They were two completely different cultures they didn't like each other. Uh, the, one culture didn't make room for another culture. There was a constant clash of those two cultures. Wherever the two met, there was difficulty and disagreement. And now all of a sudden, they're all under the same roof in, in Antioch. So it describes what happens in this church in Acts. You don't have to turn there. I'll just read it to you. It's short, but I kind of want you to to just hear what happens. It says in uh, Acts eleven twenty two, the news about them reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. So the news about them, the news about this church that has Jews and Gentiles in it finally travels south to the mothership, to the home church where, where, where all the apostles, everybody is, and they hear this news about this church, of this combined church, and they're like, we didn't even know this was possible. Is, is this even a thing? Can, can Gentiles be say what what is even happening they'd never heard of anything like that before and so they said Barnabas get up there go go find out what's going on up there and so he does it says then when he arrived he witnessed the grace of God and he rejoiced and began to encourage them with all resolute heart to remain true to the Lord for he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a considerable number were brought to the Lord. And so more Gentiles are being saved and brought into the church, and more Jews are being saved and being brought into the church, and they were all living, uh, worshiping, being a church family in a homogeneous, a living together kind of way, like the Jews had done all alone back in Jerusalem, but now it's happening in an unnatural, unnormal, never seen before way in this church in, in Antioch. Well, it's going so good. Barnabas gives a thumbs up, and then it says, and then he, that's Barnabas, left for Tarsus to go look for Saul. That's Paul. By now, Paul has been saved. This is all clicking along just so quickly. He went to Tarsus to look for Paul, and he finds him. And when Barnabas found Paul, 
he brought Paul to Antioch. And for an entire year, they met with the church, and Paul and Barnabas taught considerable numbers, and the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. It was at Antioch, as they had been trained for a year under Paul and Barnabas, that they were finally called Christians. Up until this point, they were called the way. But now they were called Christians. And the church back in Jerusalem were like, what is even going on? I haven't heard any of these things before. Is it even possible for Jews and Gentiles to be together? And, and Barnabas says, yeah, it's a thing. And so Barnabas and Paul, they leave again. They go on another mission trip. Paul doesn't stay long. He's not their pastor. He starts the church in Antioch. They teach him for a while. And then Paul and Barnabas go on a mission trip. So they go from Antioch and they go on this long mission trip. And they finally make it back to Antioch. And then when they get back to Antioch, there's this huge issue. There is this clash that is going on in this church. And it was none other than Peter who started the clash. And Paul gets in his face and says, you are wrong and you need to stop it. Now, what is it? What did, what did Peter do <laughs> to mess up what was going so good? Well, it describes it here. Look at verse 12. This is what he did. This is what happened. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Peter used to eat with the Gentile Christians. When it was lunchtime, in the lunchroom, he took his tray and he would go sit down with the Gentiles. And the Jews and the Gentiles were all mixed in the church. Something that had never happened before. And... He would sit with whoever he was going to eat with. But now, he's not taking his lunch tray to the Gentile table. He's only taking his lunch tray to the Jewish table. And you're like, that does not seem like a big deal. <laughs> of, all, of all the list of things to be worried about, where someone sits down for lunch and the lunch just does not seem like a big deal. Oh, this is of the highest deal but only because of what you don't know about the whole eating thing. Let me see if I can unpack this in as short amount of time as possible. In Leviticus, Old School, Old Testament, God gave this list of dietary rules for the Jews. No, no shellfish, so you can't eat shrimp. You, you, you can't eat birds of prey. Uh, you can't eat bacon. No Skittles. That's a bummer. I like Skittles. No Skittles. And God did this for a lot of reasons. One, to set his people apart, but two, it's just for health and safety, stay away from foodborne illnesses, and this helped all of those things. And so this was God's law in Leviticus. And so throughout the years, throughout the hundreds of years, the rabbis started to think, okay, if that is God's rule, don't eat shrimp, don't eat uh, you know, don't eat birds of prey, don't eat chickens, or chickens like birds of prey, I don't know. So don't, don't eat chicken, don't eat, don't eat Skittles. If this is God's law, then we have, to inv we have to come up with other rules so that we never get close to that one, right? And so the rabbis 
began to invent what is known as the rabbinic law, the rabbinic oral law. And so God's law was thou shalt not eat shrimp, but then the rabbis came up with thou shalt not eat with Gentiles. And that was raised to the same quality, the same level as God's law. And their mind, this was all done with nothing but good intentions because who are the ones that are eating shrimp? Who are the ones that are eating bacon? Who's the one that is eating El Pollo Loco with the birds of prey? Who's the one that are, who, who are the ones that are, that are eating the Skittles? Well, it's the Gentiles. And so, if you don't sit down and eat with the Gentiles, then you never get close to the shrimp and ever eat the shrimp. You see, you see what's going on through their minds. And so, all of these rabbinic laws were added and they were raised to the same quality as the law. And they were all written down finally in the Talmud. And so, ha, we've got this new law. And inviting someone over for dinner meant something way different than what it means for us. Eating with somebody at their table means something way different than it means for us. Today, if we invite someone over for dinner, it just means, hey, we want to be friends. That's all it means. We just want to be friends. But in the first century, that's not what it meant. In the first century, when you invited someone over to your house, you were communicating to them that, that what is mine is yours. My blessings are your blessings. We are all in this together. You are joining the benefits of my family when you invited them over. For us, it's like, hey, you want to be friends? Uh, let's just be friendly. And we have all these uh, unwritten rules about inviting people over. You know, like, well, if I invite you over and you don't invite me over, you are dead to me. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the way it is. But that wasn't that way then. That way then was if I invite you over, we are in this together. My blessings are your blessings. We are one in these things. And so when the Jews in Antioch, when they went and they sat down with the Gentile, the Gentile table, they were just saying, we are all one in this. We are unified in this. I know that outside the doors, it's difficult. In the culture, we're all separated. But here we are one in Christ. But we're all sinners. We're all saved by faith. It is only a gift that came from God. It's Jesus plus nothing. So none of us did anything anyway. And so it's not about our circumcision. It's not about you. Your, your previous weird history that you have, it's Christ. And so that's why we could all sit together at the same table. And so when they sat together at the table, they were, they were, liber, they were liberators. They were liberating the, the Jews from the old uh, rabbinic requirements of living up to some sort of uh, salvation. They were liberating the Gentiles from having to be circumcised. It was... It was getting rid of all the tradition that was, had nothing to do with God and had only thing, only thing to do with the pietism and the, and, the, and the legalism of the religious system. And so Peter, remember now we're getting, Peter, he finally makes it up to Antioch from the church in Jerusalem. He finally makes it up there. And he was eating with the Gentiles. That's what the verse says. He, he was eating with the Gentiles. And why was he eating with the Gentiles? Well, because he always did. He saw, Jesus did. He walked with Jesus. He ate with Jesus with the Gentiles. In Acts, God even tells Peter to eat with the Gentiles. There's this whole weird dream sequence with food coming down from the sky. I mean, it's pretty cool. We're not going to get into it today, but he's told by God to eat with the Gentiles. And so he's been doing that all along. However, something changes. It says, Prior to the coming of certain men of James, he used to eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he began to withdraw. 
and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And so Peter pulls back from the table. He, he picks up his, his tray and he walks over to the Jew-only table where the Judaizers are sitting. And he puts his tray down and he sits there. Now, if eating with the Gentiles communicated we're all in this together, we, all, we, we are all one in this, my blessings are your blessings and yours are mine, they're all in Christ. When he pulls away from the table and he picks up his lunch tray and he goes over to the other table and he sits down with the, the Judaizers, he is communicating, I'm not so sure that you and me are the same. I'm not so sure that you and I have the same blessings. After all, I'm circumcised. After all, I do all of the, the works of the law. And you guys don't do that. And so this is what is happening in this church. So I want to show you who the players are in this on the screen just to kind of help you understand what's happening. And so we have these two kind of, these two cultures that are kind of clashing. And I know that these two terms are so political in, in the United States, it's like impossible to separate ourselves from that. And so I'm going to change these words slightly because I'm going to put names underneath each of these. I don't want you to think, you know, that... Uh, Peter Paul's a Republican or a Democrat, okay? So, so let me just change these slightly so we can understand what's happening, okay? So we're gonna call the liberals, they're liberators, okay? Liberating from something. And we're gonna call the conservatives, conservers. We wanna hold on to, to something. And so the liberators in, in Galatians are Paul. The liberators in this passage are Peter. The liberators in this passage are Barnabas. You know, we've already followed their, their message. They're preaching Jesus plus nothing it is the gospel of grace. And then Gentile Christians get saved. And so they're part of this. They're liberated from any requirements of the Old Testament law. And even Jewish Christians are now liberated from this idea of having to maintain the law to maintain their salvation. So these are the liberators in this church. In Antioch. Remember, all of this happened before, and now Paul's recounting it. And so then, the, who are the conservers? Well, the conservers in this church, well, this is this circumcision group. That's what it mentions there, this, this uh, circumcision group. And it even says that, that they're from James. Well, they're, it, James, like James, the brother of Jesus, like James, the brother of Jesus sent them over. And we know that that wasn't it. I'll show you why in just a minute. It's not, they're just name dropping. But, but the, the, the circumcision group and the Judaizers are all sitting at the one table. And they're preaching this message in, the, in this church of, no, 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 no. Everyone needs to do the things of the law. Everyone needs to send their kids to, to private school or not good. Everyone needs to wear a suit to church. Everyone needs to get circumcised. Everyone can't wear flip-flops in church. Every, whatever it is. Everyone needs to do these things. We're going to Judaize this thing. And so these are the two cultures that are swimming around together in this church. Now, we know that James didn't send these guys. They're just name dropping because James has already, all the way back in the, the, the mothership, all the way back at the Jerusalem church, he's already made clear statements. He's already taken a position on this. And in Acts, 
We see his position in Acts 15. This is his position. This is James, the brother of Jesus, speaking in Acts when this issue of what do we do with the law and Gentiles, how do they interact? Well, this is what it says. It says, It is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. Trouble meaning that we don't trouble them with circumcision. That's a big trouble. We don't trouble them with shrimp issues. We, we let them eat all the Skittles they want. We don't trouble them with these things because that is not the way they got saved and that is not the way that their salvation is going to be maintained. There is no piety for salvation. There is no, uh, there's no list of anything. So James, back at the mother church, the home church, has already said, no, no, no. We've already ta- we've taken a position on this. So these guys, they're like name dropping. Yeah, we know, we know James. Yeah, right. They don't, they don't know James at all. Verse 13. It says that the rest of the Jews joined him, joined Peter in his hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by the hypocrisy. And so here's what's happening in this church. We have the, the liberators who are preaching the gospel of grace. You're liberated from the law, but then Peter kind of... Get, gets pulled over to the other table. Uh, he, he, he picks up his tray and he moves over to, to the Judaizers and says, yeah, I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the way we were raised. That's the way that it always has been. That's why there's a separation already. I, I, yeah, I mean, I can, I can see where you're coming from. And then as he does that, I mean, Peter is like the, he's the pillar, pillar. Like everybody follows him, and so that's exactly what happened. They all followed him. And so the Jewish Christians, they all picked up their trace too. And they walked over to the to the Judaism, to all the Jews, and they sat down. And Barnabas was like, I, I, Okay, I'll I'll go over there too then. And he sits down. And so now the only the only people sitting over at the other table are just Gentiles. That's it. Remember, Paul is still out on his mission trip with Barnabas. So Paul's not even in the church right now. He's on the mission trip. And so now, in the church, you have these two separate cultures again. Divided again. Divided just like they are on the outside. Inside the, the church. And Paul finally gets back to Antioch. And he walks in the door at lunchtime. <laughs> and you have all the Gentiles over here like, you know, dipping their shrimp in the shrimp sauce. You know, and the Jews are over here, you know, look at, look at that bacon. I don't want to smell that bacon. It's nasty people. We're the righteous ones. And, and they're something different and Paul walks in and what we are reading here is a public tongue lashing from Paul to Peter for causing all of this in this church. He, in modern terms, he puts them on blast, right? That, that's modern terminology. Publicly, so that everybody knows you're wrong. Now, why is 
Paul recounting the story. Remember, it was the Judaizers that had come into these churches in Galatia, different place, had come into these churches in Galatia, and these Judaizers were saying that Paul and his message were inferior because he wasn't one of the big 12. He wasn't like Peter and James and John. He didn't sit at the feet of Jesus, and so they had the permission to amend his message. And last week, Paul said, no, 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 I got it from Jesus. I didn't get it from any internet website. I didn't go to any church. I got it from G- a revelation from Jesus. And, he, and now he's saying, I even had to call out your main man. I even had to call out the guy that, that, that you venerate. And the reason that I could call him out is because we are equal. So we get to get to verse 14. And Paul says, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the gospel, Peter had changed. Something, something had changed in Peter. It's not that he, he didn't lose the salvation, but he had changed. It used to be salvation by faith alone. And now it's salvation by doing our list. Circumcision and shrimp and bacon and Skittles and homeschool and, and suits in church and all those things. He says, and I said to Cephas in the presence of all. I mean, this is public. If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? Peter had created a culture in this church where they were unable to hear the clear gospel. They were hearing the, this gospel of works. And we already know that Paul said, that's no gospel at all. That's slavery. That's bondage. And Peter had created all of this in, in the church. And, and he says, yeah, but Peter, you have even lived like the Gentiles. You've even lived in the freedom of Christ because Peter, you used to eat with the Gentiles and that's not very Jewish of you now, is it? And so, if, if you have already eaten with the Gentiles, You've been living like the Gentiles. Why is it now that you expect the Gentiles to go and do all, all the Jewish things? You've been living like a Gentile too. That just doesn't even make any sense. And so this is what's going on in the church. You have everybody on one side of the lunchroom. You have the Gentiles over on the other side of the lunchroom. And Paul walks in and he calls Peter out publicly. And he says, you need to come back to grace. You need to come back to preaching the message of grace that is nothing that anybody does. The Jews are not saved because of their circumcision or because of the dietary laws. They are saved by grace. It's a gift that only comes from God, a gift that came through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. You need to come back to grace. You need to come back to the site of liberating people instead of putting them in bondage. And right now, you're distracting from the gospel. You are hindering people from being saved because now you're communicating a gospel of works which is no gospel at all. You need to come back to all of what you have come from. And so this is what's going on in in this, this church in Antioch. And you begin to think, well, is that, does that happen today? It happens, but just not with the terms of Jew and Gentile. It just happens in other ways. I was reading a, 
a biography of a, of a modern church planter. And he was working for uh, serving in a large denomination in their church planting ministry in the United States. Um, it, basically, in denomination, they'll have something called like home missions or something like that, as opposed to foreign missions. Foreign missions is sending a missionary uh, to someone for someplace foreign, and home missions is ministry or missions within the United States. And so this guy worked for a home missions in a denomination. And so he was kind of a scrub. He was a newbie. He was a freshman. Okay. And so he was working in the north, so like Montana, South Dakota, North Dakota. We're talking just in the last 15 years. Uh, I think Nebraska was on that list. But if you know anything about that part of the world, really a lot of part of the West, that there's a lot of uh, Indian reservations, you know, all kind of scattered around. Um, and then people who own property, all the cowboys, the, the ranchers out there. And so he shows up to a meeting, and the kind of the big wigs are kind of setting him up for, okay, here's what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. They say, okay, we're going to set up the Indian churches, and then we're going to set up the cowboy churches. That was the way that they put it. We're talking, we're talking in the last 15 years. And he's thinking, as he recounts this, why can't the Indians and the cowboys just be together in the same church? Well, I mean, you can't do that. That's the Jerusalem church. Is it even possible for the cowboys and the Indians to worship together? Well, outside the walls, no. But in Christ, we are all one. And so this mentality of because there are differences, um, you can't worship together, still exists today. All these rules and lists and things to, to do. Someone walks into a, a church, everybody in the church wear, is wearing a suit and a tie or a long dress, and someone comes into the church wearing a t-shirt and it says, legalize weed, dude. Peter would be like, whoop, <laughs> I'm going over here. And Paul would say, no. It's his position about, it's, it's change his mind about Jesus. Don't make him change his mind about, about weed. Change his mind about Jesus. Jesus will change his mind about weed. So someone comes into a, a church, they're all tatted up and, you know, they have piercings in all of the weirdest places. <laughs> and Peter would be like, you sit here, I'll be right back. <laughs> it goes over here. And Paul would say, no! You are burdening that, that is slavery, and you are causing a division in the church where there should be no division. I mean, it can just go on and on and on, sending your kids to private school versus public school versus homeschool. It just, it just goes on and on, dress codes, and, and, and uh, Christians don't drink Starbucks because Starbucks is a company that supports things that are ungodly. And so if you eat, drink Starbucks, there's no way you could be a good Christian. And so Paul says at the end, well, why did Jesus even need to die? I mean, if all it is is just changing my coffee company, then why did Jesus even need to die? 
It's because it's none of those things. It's not a person's sexual orientation that you're trying to change. You want them to change their mind about Jesus, and Jesus will change their mind about everything, socially, sexually, uh, economically. Jesus is the change. The Holy Spirit that lives inside of them is the change. We don't change them before they get saved. Jesus is the one that changes them after. And Peter needed to, to know all of these things. Well, let's get back to uh, verses 15 and 16 here. It says, but we're Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus, even we believed in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Paul's like, hey man, even you and I, we're Jews and we know that that, that didn't save us. Uh, we put our faith in Jesus too. We received the grace from Jesus too. <laughs> it, it wasn't our circumcision and we, both of us know that. We've been preaching that for a long time. And so why would it be any different for the Jews? So that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law, the law, the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. No one's going to be saved that way. Why in the world do we expect the, the Gentiles to go under the law when that is not what saves anybody? It's hypocritical. Uh, verse 17. But, but if, while seeking to, be, seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also have been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? This is a really interesting idea that he has here. If it really is the ceremonial law, the, the rabbinic traditions, this, the, these other, if it really is these other laws that save us, if, if it is, then Peter, you and I are now sinners because we've eaten with the Gentiles. We've broken it. And even better, Jesus is a sinner because he ate with the Gentiles too. That's what, it, that, that, that's what it's saying there. Is Christ a minister of sin? Did Christ sin when he ate with the Gentiles? Well, of course, Peter knew his Lord and Savior. He knew that Jesus was God. He knew that, that Jesus didn't sin at all, verse 18. Just a, another, a, another hat on, the, on, on top of everything else. For if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. So this is a great point. If I move back to the side that I once was preaching against... Now, I'm a hypocrite. If I've been saying that that way was wrong, I've been t teaching a gospel of grace and, and, and freedom from that, and now I go back to that lunch table again, I'm the hypocrite. I now have proven myself to be a transgressor. I've transgressed against the very thing that I have taught before. This is just Paul's really not-so-soft way of saying, Peter, you need to come back to grace. You need to come back to, to the way that, that you've been preaching all along. And then verse uh, 19, verse 19, if, uh, for through the law I die to the law so that I might live to God. This legalism thing, this law thing, completely clashes with the gospel of grace from Christ. It's either Jesus plus nothing or Jesus plus something. Those, and those two things clash against each other. And Paul says, you know what? When we put our faith in Jesus, we died to the law. And the law died to us. Like, 
It's, you're dead to me. And from the lost perspective, <laughs> they're dead to the law. They are now free in Christ. And so then you finally get to the last verse. I don't nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then even Christ died needlessly. If we think that drinking Starbucks is what saves a person or maintains their salvation, then Jesus died wastefully. If we think that it's circumcision that maintains someone's salvation, if we think it's the amount that you give on a Sunday morning, if it's the things that you wear that, that, that maintain your salvation, then Jesus, he died needlessly. But the message of the gospel of grace is that, that God sent his son Jesus because we needed him. We're all separated from God because of our sin. We've all fallen short of God's glory. And so when he lives a perfect life and he dies on the cross, he's dying for my sin, he's dying for yours. And so when we put our faith in him, it's not something that we did. It's something that Jesus did. And so what happened on the cross, God's wrath being poured out that really we all deserve is now applied to me. It's grace. And Peter hasn't been preached. He's not preaching that when he's pulling his lunch tray away. He's communicating something differently. So the question is, well, what about Peter? Did Peter ever change? Did he, did he ever start eating with the Gentiles again? Did he ever became, become Paul's friend again? Well, don't forget, Peter wrote a couple books in the Bible. And so if Paul put him on blast, now Peter can put him on blast. So let me, t- let me show you what Peter writes about Paul. He could give it right back to him. This is what Peter says. He says, our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given, him, g- given to him, wrote to you, as also in all of his letters, speaking in them these things in which there are some things that are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. Peter never questioned, never pushed back against what, what P- Paul said. And, and, and Peter said that every single one of Paul's writings were genuinely scripture. So remember, I want you to remember the context of all, all, all this. This story with Peter and the church in Antioch has all happened before. And the churches in Galatia are now having the same issue begin to crop up in their church. The Judaizers have just hit, and the Judaizers are calling into question his authority to preach the gospel, saying that they can add to it because, after all, he's not one of the big 12. And, and Paul says, uh-huh. Let me tell you a story you don't know. I had to call your your main boy. I had to call him out publicly on this very issue of what's going on in your church. Peter and I, we're equals. We're the same. Because Jesus gave the revelation to Peter and Jesus gave the revelation to me. We're all the same. And so how, how do we apply all of this at Grace Community Church in Riverside? Well, I certainly want to be a liberator of yours. Uh, if you have not put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know there is nothing that you can do to be saved. I want to remove every uh, religious stigma that you ha- have in your history. I have to be baptized, or I haven't lived a good life, or I need to start doing some things, and then I need to, and then finally I can be saved. I 
I, I need to speak in tongues and then finally the Holy Spirit will come and live inside of me. I need to have a religious experience and then I will know that it's true in my life. I want you to know that there's nothing good that you can do. There are no words that you can say and there's nothing bad enough that you can do to keep you out of heaven. It is simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul killed Christians and so if your stuff isn't as bad as that, you can be saved too by Jesus' grace. Many of you are not there. You've already put your faith in Jesus. But I want to liberate you too. I want you to know that it is not your piety that holds on to your salvation. It is not what you wear to church that holds on to salvation. There, it's great to, to respect the Lord and, and to dread. It's totally fine. But that's not what keeps you saved. There is nothing that you can do to jump out of God's hands. He is the one that holds on to you. I know sometimes in difficult times we say, well, I'm only holding on to Jesus. Well, that's, that's a good idea. It's a good thing. I'm glad you are holding on to Jesus. But the Bible tells us that God has us in his hands, and we cannot jump out. It's called eternal life for a reason. It goes on forever. So there's nothing that you can do. So going to all of the Bible studies in the world does not push out your, your salvation ending date a little further. The reason that you go to a Bible study is because you want to learn more about our Savior and you want to fellowship with other believers. That's why you do it. I want you to know that giving financially to God is not what saves you or maintains your salvation. We give it out of cheer. That's the biblical term, cheerfully. Just because God gave us all and we want to worship him with everything that we have. And I wish it could be more and I, next year it is going to be more. But it's not out of requirement. You can give zero dollars for the rest of your life and you can still Go to heaven when you die. Now, there aren't many churches that are telling you that. <laughs> Why? Well, because of legalism and piety and separatism that all just kind of begin to be infused in modern American churches. It's not where you send your kids to school. It's good to care about your kids and where they go to school. It's important that you do that but it is the death of Jesus that maintains your salvation. He's the one that will work inside of you. It's not the amount of ministry that you do. Oh no, I need to work more for Jesus. I need to work more for Jesus because I, oops, I lied. And so I have to work more for Jesus to pay that one off and to push things out further. That is pietism just built into our psyche. But it is Jesus' death. It was completed, it was done. When you put your faith in him, it was done. And now all of the, it's good to, it's good to go to Bible study. It's good to serve in ministry. It's good to give sacrificially. It's good to live in fellowship with other Christians. Those things deepen our roots. It's, it's God's spirit that's changing us, but that is not maintaining your salvation. So hopefully I've liberated you a little bit today. Maybe there's someone in here today that needs to put their faith in Jesus for the very first time. And so I'm gonna ask all of you, would you be willing to bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? This creates a little separation between you and the person next to you for just a minute. Maybe you need to be liberated from your own sin. You need to be liberated from your sin. Jesus offers forgiveness of your sin, washes away your sin, makes you new. And all you need to do is believe. It is by grace. Put your faith in Jesus. Change your mind about Jesus. Maybe you're not sure exactly what to do right now or what to say, but if you know that you want to go to heaven when you die, you just talk to, talk to God about this. It's called prayer. But just in the quietness of your own heart, you don't need to say anything out loud, but in the quietness of your own heart, you could say, God, I, I believe what that pastor said. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin, and I believe that he rose from the grave. 
and I know that I need a savior. I've fallen short of God's glory. I'm not, glori- I'm not glorified like, G- like God is. I don't have that kind of glory. And so I need a savior. I need someone to wash away my sin. I need someone to wash away the wrong things that I've done in my past. I need him to wash away the things that have separated me from, from God. I put my faith and my trust in this Jesus. I put my eternity in the hands of this Jesus. I want to be, I want to be free. With your head so bad and your eyes so closed, immediately, if you pray that prayer genuinely, God immediately saves your soul. The Holy Spirit comes and lives in, inside of your heart immediately. You may not feel it emotionally, but it's a, it's a promise that has occurred in your life today. Many of you are already in that position. And I just want you to know that you're going to heaven. You're in God's hands. You can't jump out. Because it is God's grace. Nothing that you did. Well, God, I thank you for this. I thank you for what you've told us today. I thank you for the, the freedom that, um, that, that comes in you and that you have liberated us from even our own modern histories of the desire to do good things for our salvation. We simply praise you because of it. And God, I pray that you'd protect grace from any of this ever creeping in uh, to our message um, or our purpose uh, here at Grace. Thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.